0: the hour of death by grover brinkman from weird tales december 1925 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by dale growthman the hour of death by grover brinkman the telephone on dr thorndyke's littered desk shrieked a single jerked-out ring as if the party on the other end of the line was nervous for a connection to be made laying aside his hook he casually reached for the receiver hello he said yes this is thorndyke speaking who did you say blake oh yes i recognize your voice now old man didn't at first it seemed so strained and unnatural yes if you say it's urgent i'll be over right away thorndyke hung up the receiver donned his hat and coat and went out the front way of his bachelor apartment telling his servant that he need not stay up a minute later he was speeding down the deserted street in his own roadster now i wonder what the dickens is the matter thorndyke reflected as he sped along recalling the strained Terrified voice of his old colleague over the wire He was soon to find out As he parked his car in Blake's driveway. He had a vague premonition that something was wrong seriously wrong a Servant met him at the door of Blake's residence an old slightly bent man who led him without prelude to Blake's den Where his friend lived alone? But what a different Blake? in the strained horror-filled face thorndyke could hardly recognize the man who from youth and college days he always called his closest friend blake was a strong man both mentally and physically his only weakness a belief in superstition and as thorndyke looked at the mere phantom of the former football star the frown deepened in his brow thank god i'm glad you came said blake unnaturally it was so late when i called up that i was afraid you might have retired no i most always stay up until after midnight reading but you look as if you've seen a ghost what in the world is wrong for answer blake pointed to the library table in the center of the room on which was scattered a pile of letters he seemed stupefied his eyes were glassy and wandering read one of those he said queerly and don't take it as a joke for the last six weeks one of those letters has been coming at one o'clock in the morning every time thorndyke his face incredulous picked up the foremost letter and unfolded the single sheet it contained as he read the blood slowly left his face and laughing queerly he read for the second time the brief note mr james blake two more nights from tonight at exactly one o'clock your life will be snuffed out like the breaking of a thread there was no signature nothing at all nothing but the sinister message without a clue of any kind Blake gave a hollow laugh. "'What do you make of it?' he asked slowly, hopelessly. Thorndyke shook his head. Then presently his face broke into the image of a smile. "'No doubt some of your friends trying to put a scare into you,' he said, though his voice lacked conviction. "'I've thought of that. At first I almost believed it, but I don't any more. Why, man, look!' more than forty of them every night for forty nights at exactly one o'clock thorndyke was looking through the letters trying to conjure some vague reason for their being there can't you get a clue from the postmarks he asked presently no use in trying blake returned each is mailed within the city though not always at the same station And each has a special delivery stamp attached. We can't find any clues that way. Suddenly, as Thorndike started to speak, the tall clock in the hallway chimed out the hour. One o'clock. With the sound, Blake seemed to pale even more, until his face was the color of dead ashes. He slumped down in his chair, trembling in every limb his eyes in a fixed stare on the doorway. Thorndyke realized with a pang of regret that the sinister letters were proving too much for his old friend. Blake was a wreck, physically and mentally, and to all indications, on the verge of losing his mind. "'Buck up, old man,' he said solicitously. "'But my God, Jim!' almost shrieked Blake, his outward calm suddenly deserting him. Place yourself in my position. For more than forty nights I have stayed up and waited. Waited. For this. I can't sleep. All day and all night this thing haunts me like a bad dream. My mind is about ready to snap. Thank God it's almost over. Either we will find out who's doing this tomorrow night, or I— He broke off abruptly at that moment the aged servant noiselessly opened the door and without further ceremony handed blake a letter special delivery letter for you sir he said obediently his face an impassive mask and turned for the door blake turned the letter over in his hands like a man in a daze without opening it he handed it to thorndyke you read it he requested And buried his face in his hands Thorndike took it without a word of protest and tore it open this time the message was even more brief 24 more hours and then the breaking of the thread as he put the letter on the table the expression of Thorndike's face suddenly changed his countenance hardened his lips drew into a thin line that barely showed the whiteness of his teeth, and his eyes seemed to be visioning something far away. "'Blake,' he said determinedly, "'we're going to find out who is doing this. And don't think about tomorrow night. Have you any idea what the motive of sending these crazy letters could be?' "'No, I haven't,' said Blake hopelessly. "'I'm pretty well provided for financially but not rich it's not a scheme to blackmail me for money i'm sure of that and i don't know of any enemies here in new york how about your servant suddenly asked thorndyke blake laughed nothing suspicious about him i've had him for ten years he thinks the letters are from my factory superintendent out of town a daily report of the work all right said thorndyke i suppose in that case you can trust him i think i'll be going now there's nothing to be gained by your sitting up and racking your brains about it you go to bed and sleep and forget all about this i'll come tomorrow night before one o'clock and we'll see what happens leaving a sleeping potion he left advising the old servant to see that blake had every care All that day Thorndyke thought about the coming night toward evening he had a visitor in the form of inspector Carson who though ten years his senior was one of his closest friends and always an intimate friend of Blake acting on impulse he told Carson all about the threats Blake had received his condition and asked him to go along that night Carson accepted and he promised to call for him at midnight at eleven o'clock that night thorndyke had a call one of his convalescing suburban patients had grown suddenly worse they asked him to come immediately after telephoning carson telling him he might be a few minutes late thorndyke left without delay although he worked with all possible haste over his patient and left the sick-room as soon as he dared it was fifteen minutes to one when he drew up in front of carson's apartment we'll have to hurry he said nervously as carson took the seat beside him i'm sure the letters and threats are fake but nevertheless i'd like to be there a minute before one o'clock blake's the next thing to being insane now and you can't tell what some little scare might do it was only a few minutes later that they slowed up for blake's residence as they turned into the dark driveway that wound serpent-like to the house situated far back from the street carson suddenly gave a warning cry as a fleeing figure jumped directly into the path of the car thorndyke jammed on the brakes but it was too late to avoid striking the man with a sickening sensation in the pit of his stomach he climbed out of the machine Carson was already bending over the prostrate form and it was with a profound shock that he recognized the bent form as that of Blake's servant it was obvious that the man's condition was critical though he still remained conscious and as he bent over him Thorndyke saw the pale lips move as if he wanted to speak a sip of brandy from his first aid kit seemed to revive him for a moment and he began to talk listen he began brokenly just above a whisper I'm about gone so it'll be just as well if I tell you something he stopped a moment as if gathering strength to go on then I was the one who wrote those letters to Blake I wanted to make him suffer years ago blake was the cause of my daughter's disgrace i promised her i would make him pay and i did he's been in hell for the last six weeks i never intended to kill him wanted to make him suffer better go up to the house the voice ceased the aged servant lapsed into unconsciousness shuddering slightly thorndyke gently lay back the tousled head and with carson at his side started for the house as he pushed open the front door the clock in the hallway struck the hour one o'clock the deep chime seemed to send an icy shiver through his body and he saw that carson was pale also with the chime also was a sound that he could not fathom something like a low deep moan the next moment he pushed open the library door carson at his back thorndyke gave a gasp at what he saw and he felt the blood suddenly chill in his veins blake was crumpled in a heap on the floor where he had fallen face forward out of his chair springing forward thorndyke quickly felt the stricken man's pulse Then placed his ear over his heart. The next moment he looked up, with a tragic face, to encounter the troubled gaze of Carson. "'We were a minute too late,' said Thorndyke, slowly, brokenly. "'He's dead. Died of fright.'" The End of The Hour of Death by Grover Brinkman